So uh, an important question to ask you uh, as we begin. Well, three important questions. Question number one. This is an orange. Who believes me? Show of hands. Put up your hands. Who thinks this is an orange? Pretty much everyone. Anyone doesn't think this is an orange? It's not a trick question. Anyone? Okay. So pretty sure that's an orange. Okay. That's good. First question. Second question. This is an orange. Well, this is a tea towel, but inside the tea towel, I know, trick question. Inside the tea towel is an orange. Who believes me? You don't know. Hey? Two bold people, three, a few. Okay. Who's, who's not sure? Okay. Who thinks I'm definitely lying? Well, that's good. No one thinks I'm definitely lying. Some doubters. Okay. I'm not allowed to lie. Question number three. This is the box, I know. In the box, there is an orange. Who believes me? <laughs> a few people are like, yeah, right, give the guy a break. Let's just... Who does not believe me? <laughs> My own son does not believe me. Thank you for your faith. Why? <laughs> Done for the sound. These three oranges, these three oranges, I believe, ask us a really important question at Easter. Because it's, it's interesting to know who believes me. It's more interesting to ask why you made that decision. Why you're willing to be confident that this is an orange and far less confident that this is an orange. Do you ever think about that? Like on what basis did you decide? Because really, there's only two reasons to make your decision. The first reason is what you can see and perceive yourself. And the second reason is how much you trust me. You know, lots of people are willing to say this is an orange because even though you can't touch it or taste it, it kind of looks like an orange, doesn't it, from where you sit? Mm -hmm. It might not be, but you're willing, you know, pretty much everyone was willing to put up their hand and say this is an orange because from where you sit, this gives you all the signs of being an orange, doesn't it? And, and this, this has kind of got some of the signs, doesn't it, because it's round and it's about the same size. Right, it's too round. <laughs> But there you go, it, it's kind of, it, does it have the right size and shape to be an orange? And you know, you can't, from where you are, you can't squeeze it and, and do some of the other things that might give you a sense of whether it's an orange. And then of course this, well, this really, other than the fact that it's, you know, roughly kind of, you know, an orange could fit in here, there's nothing that tells you that there's an orange in this box. But there are some people my son excluded, who are willing to trust me, who are willing to believe in me and believe that this is an orange. And I want to suggest to you, I want to suggest to you that these three oranges pose for us a really important question at Easter.
Because today's Easter Sunday. It's the day when Christians uh, and believers in Jesus all across the world, all across the world will celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And let's be brutally honest because we can in church. That's a big call, isn't it? Like, if, you, if you've kind of been around church for a while, that sort of just rolls off the tongue. But that is a big call to sit here today and to say that there was a guy who died, who died publicly in front of hundreds, probably thousands of people. And he didn't die just for a minute. It wasn't one of those sort of on the operating table kind of things. They buried him and he was stayed dead for a good solid couple of days. And then somehow he came back to life on his own and walked out of the grave alive. To say that you believe that is a big call, isn't it? The guys who wrote the Bible who were there tell us that the first people to see Jesus were a group of women. That they'd gone to the tomb. It was a traditional, uh, a traditional Jewish thing to go to the tomb on the third day and anoint the body. And when they got there, you heard the story, Jesus wasn't there and it was announced that he was risen, that he was alive. And that night, the disciples, the, 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 the 12, Jesus, Jesus' closest band of mates, are meeting together in hiding because they're scared and they're confused. Only a couple of days before, they've seen their leader, the guy that they've followed, and a good friend, one of their best friends. They've watched him horrifically tortured and executed. And so they're in hiding and they're scared because they don't want to be next. What if the same people that did this to Jesus want to start hunting down his, you know, his mates and, and, and his friends? And now they're crazy confused because some of the women who are amongst them, who've, who've also been there on the same journey, are telling them that he's alive. I want you to listen to how John, who was there, how John tells a story years later, decades later as an old man, when he collects his thoughts and writes them down so that his story wouldn't be lost but could be passed on. He remembers it this way. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This is John chapter 20, for those of you who are taking notes. But the story doesn't stop there because it says that Thomas, who was one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, they catch up with him in the following days, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
Thomas was missing. He wasn't there for whatever reason. And when the others tell him he's alive, he, he answers probably the way that most of us would answer to say, not likely. The story goes on, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas gets a bad rap in this story, right? Most people, I don't know about you, but most people read that story and like Thomas is some kind of spiritual failure. You know, all the other disciples, you know, but not Thomas. In fact, we even have a saying, you heard that saying, a doubting Thomas? That's where it comes from. We, we still have a saying now. A lot of people don't even realise it, it comes from that, that moment in the story. But even today, when something happens, you call someone a doubting Thomas. But remember our oranges? Most of us are really no different to Thomas, are we? Like, we're really happy to believe the things that we can see, the things that in our mind we can be sure of, but... As soon as you put a little uncertainty and I can't see it, a lot less of us are willing to believe. And when you put something really unlikely in front of people, very few of us are willing to believe. And this is the challenge for us. This is the, this is the tension, the challenge, the question that... Easter puts in front of us every single year. Because when Christians get together, when churches get together and they celebrate the resurrection, what they're saying is, we believe the story of those women. We believe the testimony of Thomas and the other 12 who told people, who told people, who told people, this is what happened. We believe their story. We believe the story of the more than 500 people that Paul tells us saw Jesus at one time in the moments that he was resurrected uh, in the 40 days or so after his resurrection. We believe they were telling the truth. And that's a decision that each of us need to make or will make at Easter, whether we realise we're making that decision or not. It's a decision that each of us will make at Easter. Do we believe those testimonies? Do we believe those stories that were handed down, or do we not? Do we believe that those people who said they saw that were telling the truth? When they were beaten, when they were stoned, when they were beheaded when they were burned alive and still not a one of them, history tells us, not, a one, not just Christian history, any history, not a one of them changed their story. Yeah. 
even as they were being physically killed, not a one of them said, I made that up. Please don't kill me. So I can't see it and I can't touch it, but will I believe that is the truth? And here's the thing. Just in case, just in case, and there are some people who are in this place, just in case you're in a place in your life where you, where you think, well, I'm not sure I believe that, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Like I could still be a Christian, I could still kind of believe in God and not be sure about that whole resurrection, because the whole resurrection thing, that sounds a little far-fetched, but I can still kind of believe in God, can't I? In case you're tempted to sort of believe that, the writers of the Bible are absolutely clear, those who are there are absolutely clear, that the reality of the resurrection is absolutely central to the Christian faith. Decades later, this is the way the Apostle Paul would explain the importance of the resurrection to the early church. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For what I received, what was told to me, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, he's saying, this, this is what I've been told, and I'm telling you the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to, and then he has a whole long list of the people that Jesus appeared to. Jesus' death and resurrection is absolutely central to the whole Christian story. Our faith rests on the reality of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In, in, in fact, without the resurrection, there is no faith. A few verses later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will say, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. He's saying, if Jesus, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if the resurrection never happened, then you're wasting your time believing anything about Jesus. The whole Christian story, he said, is a complete waste of time if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And that's the guy who wrote the Bible saying that, right? Our faith hinges on our ability to believe those stories that have been handed down by the people who were there and saw it. And they told their friends and they told their neighbours and they told their children who told their children and their neighbours and so on and so on for thousands of years. But there's another question that Easter asks each of us. Because I think Easter asked us two critical questions. The first is, will you believe the story of those who were there and said that they saw Jesus alive again? But the second question that it asks us is, will you make that Jesus your Lord? Did you notice what Thomas said? Uh, Thomas's first words, according to John, once he put his hands there and he felt it, he says, my Lord and my God. It's like he's saying, if you can answer yes to the first question, if you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then there's a follow-up question that says, and will you make that Jesus your Lord? Now, let me make a couple of comments about the word Lord, because I think there can be a little bit of confusion around that word. 
Lord is not Jesus' surname, right? He's not like Jesus Lord, like I'm Matt Sarr. It's not his surname and it's not a nickname, right? I ride my bike uh, with a guy, one of my mates that I ride bikes with. We call him Curly, right? Because he's bald, right? And he's been bald since any of us have known him. He's bald at a very young age. We call him Curly. In fact, my children don't actually know his real name because anyone, you know, they've only ever called him Curly. That's his nickname. Lord is not Jesus' nickname. Lord is a title. Lord is a title that's given to someone that in your life or in your world is the absolute authority. It's a title given to someone who's the boss, who's the king, who's the master, someone who has complete control over and authority over your life. We don't use that sort of title much because we live in a democratic society where, you know, our leaders sort of come and go and, and we know that our leaders are just kind of regular people who, you know, who sort of got to where they are. And so we don't think, even for our elected officials, we don't, we don't sort of give them those sort of titles because we don't give them that place in our life. But, you know, there are still some countries and there are still some places around the world that have kingdoms or that have people who are seen as an absolute authority over them. And, and, and in, in the time of Jesus, there was, an absolute, there was a Lord and his name was Caesar. The Roman emperor was, was the complete authority over all of life, over everyone's life in the time of Jesus. Now, most people had never seen Caesar. They'd never, they'd never met Caesar. They really didn't know a lot about him, except that they knew that whatever he said went. If Caesar wanted this to happen, it happened. If Caesar wanted that to happen, it happened. And so they would regularly say, Caesar is Lord. And so what Thomas is doing here and what the early church followed his example to do is they would flip that on its head and say, uh-uh-uh for us anymore. We now declare that Jesus is Lord. That allegiance, that place in our life that was reserved for Caesar, that was reserved for the ultimate king and the ultimate authority, we're going we're gonna to sort of take that title from him and we're going to put it on our resurrected Jesus. And we're going to call him Lord. We're going to declare that he is now the boss of our life, that he is the ultimate authority in our life, that he is our master, our ruler, whatever, whatever kind of language you want to use to describe Jesus as the ultimate, uh, the ultimate point of reference in your life. That's what it means when you say Jesus is Lord. And the writers of the Bible are really clear that it's only his resurrection that makes him worthy of that title in your life. Those who are taking notes, Romans 1 verse 4. It's their way of saying, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he can still be a nice guy. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he could still be an inspiring role model. If Jesus didn't rise from the, from the dead, he still uh, apparently did some, some pretty crazy miracles that would make him worth telling some stories about. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he could still be a terrific moral teacher. And there could be some really good lessons about the way that we treat other people, um, the way that we love other people. There's still some stuff there that has value. But he can't be Lord. He can't have that place in your life. You, you, you can't serve someone like that who's dead. I mean, why would you want to? Why would you want to take someone who's dead and buried and gone and put them at that place in your life and say, I'll do everything for that person? This is the core of what Easter is all about, these two questions. Easter's a celebration of a belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Actually properly rose, not a spirit, not a, not a mist, not a vapour, not a ghost, actually rose again alive from the dead. And that by rising from the dead, he sort of validates, he stamps himself worthy of being called the Lord of your life, the Lord of anyone's life, the Lord of the world. That's why Easter Sunday, that's why this day remains the most important day in the year for anyone who believes in God and who follows Jesus. That's why this day and the story of the resurrection remains sort of central to what it is to be Christian. It's why the symbol of Christianity continues to be a cross. Thousands of years, you see a cross, you know, if you put a cross on a building, you know what that means. If someone wears a cross, you know what that means. If you see a cross on a business or a cross anywhere, you know what that means. It's the international symbol of this faith because it reminds us that it's the death and the resurrection, the empty cross, the resurrection that defines this whole idea and this whole movement. So I want to leave you with those two questions today. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? And if you do, will you make him your Lord? And I want to say as clearly as I can, if you can't answer yes, if you're not ready to answer yes to those two questions today, that's totally fine. They're big questions. If you can't say yes to those things, that's totally fine. You are welcome to come here and to meet with us for as long as you want while you check out those questions and think about them. That's absolutely fine. If today is a day, maybe today is your day to say yes to those two questions for the very first time. I said yes to those questions for the very first time at Easter when I was 14 years old. I went to an Easter camp. We've got a bunch of our young people on Easter camps at the moment. I went to an Easter camp when I was 14 years old. I'd grown up in a... I went to church as a little kid, but it was kind of a traditional church and, and uh, you know, lots of old people and hymns and robes and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and it just didn't really make much sense to me. And there weren't very many other young people my age. And, and, and I don't know why I went to this camp. Someone convinced me, but probably told me there was going to be girls there. I can't remember. But <laughs> I, <clears throat> I went to the camp. I'm 14 years old. And for the first time in my life, I saw all these other young people who actually believed this God stuff. And I still wasn't sure that I, I mean, I, you know, I said the things in church, but I wasn't sure I really believed this stuff. And then they started to worship and sing and I could see there was something about these people 
And there was life and energy in this group of people that I hadn't really seen before. And then they started explaining the story of Jesus. And I must have heard the story of Jesus so many times when I was a little kid, but it never really clicked for me. And people started explaining it in a kind of language that I got. And on the 18th of April, 1987, when I was, was the Saturday night of that camp. And someone asked those two questions in language, maybe slightly different. They asked those two questions and I said, absolutely yes. And so if that's your day today, and for my, I can see some nods of heads. People know you can remember your day, some of us. If today's your day, that is awesome. Please come talk to me afterwards and I'd love to pray with you and just kind of bless you in that. And if you are a person that can say yes to these two questions, if you're listening to this and kind of nodding along going, yeah, that's me. Yep, 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 yep. Then I want to give you an opportunity today just as a way of celebrating Easter to declare that again. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He's not saying you have to say any special words. It's just his way of saying there's something powerful about publicly declaring that. You know, you can kind of think it in your mind, but let's face it, we think all sorts of weird stuff in our mind, right? Well, I do. Maybe, maybe you don't. <laughs> I certainly do. But there's something about standing up for something, isn't there? About saying this is what I believe in. So I want to give you an opportunity, this might be weird for some of you, to publicly declare today that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus is your Lord. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a really old song. In fact, this song is so old that this was the song that people were singing when I gave my life to Jesus in 1987. That's how old it is, right? And you don't have the words for it. It's really simple. I'm going to start singing it, which is going to be a painful experience for us all. <laughs> okay? That's all, that's all right. It's just going to break the ice. I'm going to start singing it, and here's what I'm going to do. If you don't know the song, you'll catch on. It's that easy. Okay? When you're ready, if you're ready, and if you're not, there's totally no pressure here. When you're ready, you can start singing it with me. It's a really short song. We're just going to sing it through two or three times. And it's going to be a way. I'm not going to ask you to stand up here and do anything kind of weird like that. <laughs> but just by singing this, it's going to be a statement that says, I believe this. If you don't want to sing this, it's fine. There'll be no judgment at all. If you want to sit there, that's absolutely fine. We're going to sing it a few times. I'm not going to get you to do anything more weird than that. And then I'm going to pray. <laughs> Okay, But I just want to give you an opportunity to, to do more than kind of sit here and go, yeah, that's it, because this is Easter Sunday, right? Okay? So with no pressure at all, here goes. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord every knee shall 
Jesus Christ is